<clears throat> the plan for this uh, winter retreat is to use uh, this uh, book called Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Realization by uh, Venerable Analeo uh, as a, a theme. Um, so Venerable Analeo is a German bhikkhu and uh, has uh, trained in uh, Sri Lanka, is, uh, but is also not just a, a scholar but also uh, a, a, a practitioner of meditation. So this is a particularly uh, well-informed commentary, and uh, I uh, used this a few years ago at Abhayagiri Monastery during the winter retreat there, also um, giving readings uh, uh, from this as a um, uh, theme for the whole winter retreat time. Uh, since uh, this book was produced, which I think was 2003, yes, 2003, uh, he's produced a follow-up, which looks very, very similar. <laughs> it's got a uh, <coughs> uh, a um, picture of the same Buddha image on the front. This is called Perspectives on Satipatthana, and so this is a, um, a sort of a parallel, uh, it covers the same material in a slightly parallel way, but drawing on other resources, particularly from uh, the uh, Chinese uh, tradition, the Chinese uh, say versions of the scriptures that relate to, to Satipatthana. So what I'm uh, aiming to do is to use uh, this one as the, the main book and then be uh, sort of using this as uh, uh, sort of extra material to to um, introduce and to and to bring into the discussions uh, as well. Uh, first of all, uh, well, so this evening as, as we're beginning things, I thought just do uh, uh, most of it mostly an introductory. Uh, kind of um, presentation. And first of all, I'd like to read Bhikkhu Bodhi's blurb. So Bhikkhu Bodhi is a, um, an American uh, monk, also um, uh, trained many years in Sri Lanka, now lives in the USA and is a translator of uh, the um, Sanyuta Nikaya, the Connected Discourses, the, um, the Numerical Discourses, also co-translator of the uh, um, Middle-Length Discourses with uh, uh, having uh, re reviewed and revised uh, Bhikkhunyana Moli's uh, translation. So he's uh, probably the most eminent and skilled uh, uh, translator of Pali texts into English. So what Bhikkhu Bodhi has to say is, uh, this book helps to fill what has long been a glaring gap in the scholarship on early Buddhism, offering us a detailed textual study of the Satipatthana Sutta, the foundational Buddhist discourse on meditation practice. With painstaking thoroughness, Venerable Analio marshals the suttas of the Pali Canon, works of modern scholarship, and the teachings of present-day meditation masters to make the rich implications of this text so concise in the original, clear to contemporary students of the Dharma. Unlike more popular books on the subject, he is not out to establish the exclusive validity of one particular system of meditation, as against others, his aim, rather, is to explore the sutta as a wide-ranging and multifaceted source of guidance which allows for alternative interpretations and approaches to practice. His analysis combines the detached objectivity of the academic scholar with the engaged concern of the practitioner, for whom meditation is a way of life rather than just a subject of study. The book should prove to be uh, of, uh, of value both to scholars of early Buddhism and to serious meditators alike. Ideally, it will encourage in both types of reader the same wholesome synthesis of scholarship and practice that underlies the author's own treatment of his subject. So uh, I think that's a very beautiful synopsis, and um, 
gives you a sense a, a bit of a, of a, a um, uh, to some degree of the, the flavor. It, so this is a uh, dressed up PhD thesis. So be prepared for that. <laughs> uh, but he's he's quite upfront about that. So it is it has got a bit of an academic tone, but it has been dressed up quite well. So I feel it's uh, it's fairly accessible, and um, hopefully by um, say uh, reading out parts of it and then giving a bit of uh, of my own commentary and then having time for for dialogue, then we can um, anything that's a bit too. Uh, uh, mysterious or, or wrapped up in uh, academic language can be uh, say, say picked through and uh, explained uh, uh, worked uh, worked over and understood in more uh, everyday terms so uh, I'll just read uh, the uh, the introduction that he's uh, composed first of all and then uh, I'll read out the uh, the sutta just so that we get a, a flavor of what, what it is that we're talking about So this is uh, Venerable Analio's introduction. The present work, which is the combined outcome of my PhD research at the University of Peridenia in Sri Lanka and my own practical experience as a meditating monk, attempts a detailed exploration of the significance and the practice of mindfulness meditation according to its exposition in the Satipatthana Sutta and placed within its early Buddhist canonical and philosophical context. Mindfulness and the proper way of putting it into practice are certainly topics of general relevance for anyone keen to tread the Buddha's path to liberation. Yet for a proper understanding and implementation of mindfulness meditation, the original instructions by the Buddha on Satipatthana need to be taken into consideration. In view of this, my inquiry is in particular concerned with the discourses recorded in the four main Nikayas, that's the sections of the Pali Canon, and the historical early parts of the fifth Nikaya as centrally important source material. Satipatthana is a matter of practice. In order to ensure that my exploration has practical relevance, I've consulted a selection of modern meditation manuals and related publications. The nature of this selection has been mainly a matter of availability, yet I hope to have included a fairly representative number of meditation teachers. Apart from these, I've also relied on various academic monographs and articles on early Buddhism in order to illustrate the philosophical framework and historical context within which the Satipatthana Sutta is to be understood. These provide the background information for understanding particular passages or expressions in the discourse. To help maintain text flow and readability, I've kept the main body of the text as free as possible from direct quotations and tangential observations. Instead, I've made extensive use of footnotes, which provide references of interest and discussions of additional information. The general reader may prefer to focus on the body of the text during a first reading and only turn to the information in the footnotes during a second reading. My exposition follows the sequence of the passages in the discourse as closely as possible. At the same time, however, my treatment is not restricted to simple comments, but allows some minor digressions in order to explore relevant points and to provide a background for better understanding the section under discussion. The first chapter deals with general aspects and terminology in relation to Satipatthana. The next three chapters are concerned with the second paragraph of the Satipatthana Sutta, the definition. So three chapters just on the definition of what is Satipatthana. So <laughs> he gives it uh, serious treatment. <clears throat> uh, so the next three chapters are concerned with the second paragraph of the Satipatthana Sutta, the definition, especially with the implications of sati, 
mindfulness, and the role of concentration. In the fifth chapter I turn to a set of general instructions repeated throughout the discourse after each meditation exercise, the refrain, quote-unquote. With the sixth chapter I begin to examine the actual exercises of the direct path of mindfulness meditation, concerned with contemplating the body, feelings, mind and dhammas. At the end of this uh, examination of the individual meditation practices, I turn to the final paragraph of the discourse and to the implications of Nibbāna. By way of conclusion, I try to highlight some key aspects of Satipatthana and to evaluate its importance. In general, my purpose in the present inquiry is less to prove and establish a particular point of view than to provide suggestions and reflections in the hope of opening up new perspectives in regard to Satipatthana and in the hope of inspiring the reader to engage in its actual practice. So that's uh, 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 echoing what Bhikkhu Bodhi said in his little blurb uh, about the book, uh, and this is not a small thing because uh, it's, um, uh, as probably most of us are aware, it's, uh, <coughs> the, it's a common tendency, particularly when people writing books, um, and I've written quite a few, <laughs> uh, is to be taking a particular viewpoint and saying, yeah, this, is, uh, this is the right way, this is the real understanding, this is what the Buddha actually meant. Mm-hmm. And uh, the word actually is one of those alarm words that as soon as you hear it, you should <laughs> stiffen the spine and think, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, and uh, my experience of, of reading this this book by Venerable Analio is that he's uh, very very skilled indeed in taking a particular interpretations or, or um, say different ways of translating certain terms and and uh, picking them up and exploring them and not saying you know this is really the right one or you know that's the wrong one. And uh, particularly in the academic world, that's how many academics of that's their bread and butter is. Um, making a point and defending it and, and proving all the other people to be you know, wrong and, or misinformed. And uh, he manages to avoid that very, very carefully and his, his eye is on the, the practicalities of making this a, a useful teaching and something that is uh, of direct benefit to, to people. Yeah. As we know, uh, mindfulness is now the sort of mot du jour, the kind of buzzword you see uh, everywhere. Um, yeah, you have... <coughs> Mindfulness in the uh, mindful cooking, uh, you know, mind, not, you know, mindful birthing, mindful parenting, mindful dying, uh, <laughs> uh, mindful uh, uh, mindful stockbroking, you know, you know, mindfulness in the money markets. Uh, there's uh, 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 there's mindfulness being promoted uh, in uh, in schools, in in the business world, in the hospitals, in psychiatric uh, facilities, in the, uh, even in the military. It's a very um, uh, commonly used term, and it's you know, almost to the point where it's getting so overused it's almost losing its meaning. So I thought it was also particularly... And I've been invited along to quite a number of different symposi- symposia and uh, different uh, sessions. Uh, even I was invited to give a, a, a day on Satipatthana Sutta to the, um, uh, the, France, uh, the Franciscan monastics of the UK. They have like a, a meeting every... A general chapter meeting every five or six years, and so I was invited to come along and talk about Satipatthana. So even the Christians are, are, you know, are climbing on board. So I think it's, and the, the word is so used and so overused, and and is used in quite blurry ways that I, I thought it was particularly relevant when a few people suggested that it might be good to read this uh, uh, 
this book of Venerable Analia's this winter retreat, I thought, yes, very timely <laughs> to to help clarify what the, the Buddha's teaching on Satipatthana is, on mindfulness, and uh, and how it's uh, uh, how it's applied. And so hopefully by the end of the three months we'll all be absolutely <laughs> beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, clear about what the, what mindfulness is and what it isn't and how to uh, how to apply it and and uh, as he points out just in that last closing paragraph about uh, the, the the point of the book being uh, that uh, he hopes that it in, in inspires the reader to engage in the practice of uh, of mindfulness and to see and to know the the benefits of it directly so what I'll do now is I'll read out uh, his translation of the Satipatthana Sutta. So uh, this is obviously in Sutta-type language, so it's it's got some repetitions. Um, those of you who are unfamiliar with Pali scriptures, uh, it uh, <coughs> the, um, the the tone and style is uh, quite uh, particular. Uh, there's a lot of repetition uh, and the uh, the mode of of the scriptures is uh, say formed around uh, the uh, the principle of being learnt for recitation, and the um, uh, the the scriptures were cast in a form of these. Uh, even though it's presented as the word of the Buddha, oftentimes when you read these or hear these for the first time, you think, well, nobody speaks like that. That can't be the word of the Buddha because nobody just repeats the same paragraph, changing one word. You know. That people don't talk like that, so it's it's useful to recollect that the for the first four hundred years after the Buddha's time, then the scriptures weren't written down. So the Buddha passed away in about um, uh, in the fifth century BC, about four eighty five or so, uh, was the Parinibbana, and uh, the scriptures weren't written down uh, until about seventy three BC in Sri Lanka, and so for about four hundred years uh, they were just passed on by rote learning. And many of the people who were coming into the sangha, they weren't scholars. They were you know, they were villagers. They were farmers. They were uh, traders. They were you know, family people. Um, they didn't have a formal education. Particularly the you know the women would never have any education. And only the Brahmin uh, males would have had any kind of, um, of uh, say learning around uh, say um, uh, reading and writing and such like. So a very very small portion of the population would have had any kind of academic training. And so the, the scriptures were put in a form by any, where anyone could uh, uh, learn them more easily and then pass them on to the next generation. So whether you happen to be a woman or a man, whether you are uh, uh, from a farming family or you were traders or from the warrior nobles, then you could learn the teachings and uh, uh, say take them to heart and then pass them on to the next generation. So that repetitious quality and the, the, the kind of simplicity of the expression is... Is based on that uh, kind of practical concern for helping the the important information to be retained and uh, and then passed on to others. And uh, two of the the ways that we the the memory works best again they use a strong feature of the Pali Canon is lists. So the four foundations of mindfulness, the seven factors of enlightenment, the five hindrances, the, <laughs> you know the the five faculties, the six senses. So we remember things uh, easily if they're listed. So if you can only remember six of the seven factors of enlightenment, you know one is missing. <laughs> if you only got six of the eightfold path, you know, okay, there's two more now. What are they? Now, what am I? What am I forgetting? So the Buddha was was uh, he used lists 
to help people to remember, and also graphic images, like similes and uh, very um, clearly uh, say defined uh, mental pictures, so that you would get a, a say. Okay, it's about um, making your way to the to the well. Uh, you know, if you're thirsty, uh, walking to the well and and looking forward to getting to the water because you're thirsty. That's a, an image that, uh, that sticks in your mind. So throughout the Pali Canon, uh, you get this mixture of, of both lists uh, and also graphic images. Again, these are ways of, of helping the mind to retain the essential information. When you know, we, we take for granted, we have books, <laughs> symbolic marks, little sort of black squiggles that, that mean things. That, that's, uh, that's not, hasn't always been the case. <laughs> that uh, If this was two and a half thousand years ago in India, there might be one or two people in a group this size that could actually interpret squiggles on a palm leaf uh, or chiseled into stone and the other 98% of us would go right <laughs> what does that mean we wouldn't have a clue what it's referring to we wouldn't be able to see those marks and make a sound from it so the the ubiquitous nature the uh, of books and writing and reading is uh, is a uh, is um, something that we is is very ordinary for us in the modern era but that wasn't the case in in the past so what we are uh, receiving as we say listen to the sutta is the sort of the voice of two and a half thousand years ago of how these teachings were were formed and and carried on so that uh, they're they're not like the the average written word printed word nowadays but it, in a way it's a sort of uh, it's the um, resonance from the from the, the distant past 25 centuries ago that, uh, that this this form comes down to us so without further ado, I'll read out the, the sutta. Thus have I heard. On one occasion, the Blessed One was living in the Kuru country at a town of the Kurus named Kamasadamna. There he addressed the monks thus. Monks, venerable sir, they replied. The Blessed One said this. Monks, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha and discontent for acquiring the true method for the realization of Nibbāna, namely the four Satipatthanas. And Sati means mindfulness, Patana is a foundation. And also rendered, uh, Ajahn Tanisra renders that the four frames of reference, that uh, the Patana, Tana is a foundation or a basis. What are the four? Here, monks, in regard to the body, a monk abides contemplating the body, diligent, clearly knowing and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. In regard to feelings, he abides contemplating feelings, diligent, clearly knowing and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. In regard to the mind, he abides contemplating the mind, diligent, clearly knowing and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. In regard to dhammas, uh, mental phenomena, he abides contemplating dhammas, diligent, clearly knowing and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. So the section on breathing. And how amongst does he regard the body uh, sorry and, and how amongst does he, in regard to the body, abide contemplating the body? Here, gone to the forest or to the root of a tree or to an empty hut, he sits down. Having folded his legs crosswise, set his body erect and established mindfulness in front of him, mindful he breathes in, mindful he breathes out. Breathing in long, he knows I breathe in long. Breathing out long, he knows I breathe out long. 
Breathing in short, he knows I breathe in short. Breathing out short, he knows I breathe out short. He trains thus. I shall breathe in, experiencing the whole body. He trains thus. I shall breathe out, experiencing the whole body. He trains thus. I shall breathe in, calming the bodily formation. He trains thus. I shall breathe out, calming the bodily formation. Just as a skilled turner, <coughs> a woodworker, or his apprentice, when making a long turn on shaping a piece of wood, knows I make a long turn, or making a short turn, he knows I make a short turn. So too, breathing in long, he knows I breathe in long, and so forth, as above. In this way, in regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body internally, or he abides contemplating the body externally, or he abides contemplating the body both internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising in the body, or he abides contemplating the nature of passing away in the body. Or he abides contemplating the nature of both arising and passing away in the body. Mindfulness that there is a body, quote-unquote, is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how, in regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body. Now with postures. Again, monks, when walking, he knows, I'm walking. When standing, he knows, I'm standing. When sitting, he knows, I'm sitting. When lying down, he knows, I am lying down. Or he knows accordingly, however his body is disposed. In this way, in regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body internally, externally, both internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising, of passing away, of both arising and passing away in the body. Mindfulness that there is a body, quote-unquote, is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness, and he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That, too, is how, in regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body. Then in respect to activities. Again, monks, when going forward and returning, he acts clearly knowing. When looking ahead and looking away, he acts clearly knowing. When flexing and extending his limbs, he acts clearly knowing. When wearing his robes and carrying his outer robe and bowl, he acts clearly knowing. When eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting, he acts clearly knowing. When defecating and urinating, he acts clearly knowing. When walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking and keeping silent, he acts clearly knowing. In this way, in regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body internally, externally, both internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising, of passing away, of both arising and passing away in the body. Mindfulness that there is a body, quote-unquote, is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That too is how, in regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body. So too with the anatomical parts. Again, monks, he reviews the same body up from the soles of the feet and down from the, from the top of the hair, enclosed by skin as full of many kinds of impurities thus. In this body there are head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, bowels, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, tears, grease, spittle, snot, oil of the joints, and urine. Just as though there were a bag with an opening at both ends full of many sorts of grains, such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice, 
And a man with good eyes were to open it and review it thus, this is hill rice, this is red rice, these are beans, these are peas, this is millet, this is white rice, so too he reviews this same body. In this way, in regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body internally, externally, both internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising, of passing away, of both arising and passing away in the body. Mindfulness that there is a body is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That too is how, in regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body. With respect to elements. Again, monks, he reviews the same body, however it's placed, however disposed, as consisting of elements thus. In this body there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. Just as though a skilled butcher or his apprentice had killed a cow and was seated at a crossroads with it cut up into pieces, so too he reviews the same body. In this way, in regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body internally, externally, both internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising and passing away, of both arising and passing away in the body. Mindfulness that there is a body is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That too is how, in regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body. So, uh, in respect to a corpse in the process of decay. Again, monks, as though he were to see a corpse thrown aside in a charnel ground, one, two or three days dead, bloated, livid and oozing matter, being devoured by crows and hawks, vultures, dogs, jackals, various kinds of worms. A skeleton with flesh and blood held together with sinews. A fleshless skeleton smeared with blood held together with sinews. A skeleton without flesh and blood still held together with sinews. Disconnected bones scattered in all directions. Bones bleached white, the colour of shells. Bones heaped up, more than a year old. Bones rotten and crumbling to dust. He compares this same body with it thus. This body too is of the same nature. It will be like that. It is not exempt from that fate. In this way, with regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body internally, externally, both internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising and passing away, of both arising and passing away in the body. Mindfulness that there is a body is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That too is how, in regard to the body, he abides contemplating the body. Now on to feelings. And how monks does he regard so and how monks does he in regard to feelings abide contemplating feelings? Here when feeling a pleasant feeling he knows I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling an unpleasant feeling he knows I feel an unpleasant feeling. When feeling a neutral feeling he knows I feel a neutral feeling. When feeling a worldly pleasant feeling he knows I feel a worldly pleasant feeling. When feeling an unworldly pleasant feeling he knows I feel an unworldly pleasant feeling. When feeling a worldly unpleasant feeling, he knows, I feel a worldly unpleasant feeling. And when feeling an unworldly unpleasant feeling, he knows, I feel an unworldly unpleasant feeling. When feeling a worldly neutral feeling, he knows, I feel a worldly neutral feeling. And feeling an unworldly neutral feeling, he knows, I feel an unworldly neutral feeling. In this way, in regard to feelings, he abides contemplating feelings internally, externally, internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising and passing away, of both arising and passing away in feelings. Mindfulness that 
there is a feeling, quote-unquote, is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness, and he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how, in regard to feelings, he abides contemplating feelings. Now on to mind. And how amongst does he, in regard to the mind, abide contemplating the mind? Here he knows a lustful mind to be lustful, and a mind without lust to be without lust. He knows an angry mind to be angry, and a mind without anger to be without anger. He knows a deluded mind to be deluded, and a mind without delusion to be without delusion. He knows a contracted mind to be contracted, and a distracted mind to be distracted. He knows a great mind to be great, and a narrow mind to be narrow. He knows a surpassable mind to be surpassable, and an unsurpassable mind to be unsurpassable. He knows a concentrated mind to be concentrated, and an unconcentrated mind to be unconcentrated. He knows a liberated mind to be liberated, and an unliberated mind to be unliberated. In this way, in regard to the mind, he abides contemplating the mind internally, externally, internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising and passing away, of both arising and passing away, in regard to the mind. Mindfulness that, quote, there is a mind, unquote, is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how, in regard to the mind, he abides contemplating the mind. Then on to the hindrances. And how amongst does he, in regard to dhammas, mental phenomena, abide contemplating dhammas? Here, in regard to dhammas, he abides contemplating dhammas in terms of the five hindrances. And how does he, regard, how does he in regard to dhammas, abide contemplating dhammas in terms of the five hindrances? If sensual desire is present in him, he knows there is sensual desire in me. If sensual desire is not present in him, he knows there is no sensual desire in me. And he knows how unarisen sensual desire can arise, how arisen sensual desire can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed sensual desire can be prevented. If aversion is present in him, he knows there is aversion in me. If aversion is not present in him, he knows there is no aversion in me. And he knows how unarisen aversion can arise, how arisen aversion can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed aversion can be prevented. If sloth and torpor is present in him, he knows there is sloth and torpor in me. If sloth and torpor is not present in him, he knows there is no sloth and torpor in me. And he knows how unarisen sloth and torpor can arise, how arisen sloth and torpor can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed sloth and torpor can be prevented. If restlessness and worry is present in him, he knows there is restlessness and worry in me. If restlessness and worry is not present in him, he knows there is no restlessness and worry in me. And he knows how unarisen restlessness and worry can arise, how arisen restlessness and worry can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed restlessness and worry can be prevented. If doubt is present in him, he knows there is doubt in me. If doubt is not present in him, he knows there is no doubt in me. And he knows how unarisen doubt can arise, how arisen doubt can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed doubt can be prevented. In this way, in regard to Dhammas, he, ab he abides contemplating Dhammas internally, externally, internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising or passing away, of both arising and passing away in Dhammas. Mindfulness that, 
quote, there are dhammas, unquote, is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how in regard to dhammas he abides contemplating dhammas in terms of the five hindrances. Then the five aggregates. Again, monks, in, return, in regard to dhammas, he abides contemplating dhammas in terms of the five aggregates of clinging. And how does he, in regard to, to dhammas, abide contemplating dhammas in terms of the five aggregates of clinging? Here he knows. Such is material form. Such its arising. Such its passing away. Such is feeling. Such its arising. Such its passing away. Such is cognition. Such its arising. Such its passing away. Such are volitions. Such their arising, such their passing away. Such is consciousness, such its arising, such its passing away. In this way, in regard to Dhammas, he abides contemplating Dhammas internally, externally, internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising and passing away, both arising and passing away in Dhammas. Mindfulness that there are Dhammas, quote-unquote, is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how, in regard to Dhammas, he abides contemplating Dhammas in terms of the five aggregates of clinging. Then the six senses. Again, monks, in regards to Dhammas, he abides contemplating Dhammas in terms of the six internal and external sense spheres. And how does he, in regard to Dhammas, abide contemplating Dhammas in terms of the six internal and external sense spheres? Here he knows the eye. He knows forms. And he knows the fetter that arises dependent on both. He also knows how the un an unarisen fetter can arise, how an arisen fetter can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed fetter can be prevented. He knows the ear, he knows sounds, and he knows the fetter that arises dependent on both. And he also knows how an unarisen fetter can arise, how an arisen fetter can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed fetter can be prevented. He knows the nose, he knows odors, he knows the fetter that arises dependent on both. And he also knows how an unarisen fetter can arise, how an arisen fetter can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed fetter can be prevented. He knows the tongue, he knows flavors, and he knows the fetter that, uh, that arises dependent on both. He also knows how an unarisen fetter can arise, how an arisen fetter can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed fetter can be prevented. He knows the body, he knows tangibles, and he knows the fetter that, can, that arises dependent on both. He also knows how an unarisen fetter can arise, how an arisen fetter can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed fetter can be prevented. He knows the mind, he knows mind objects, and he knows the fetter that arises dependent on both. And he also knows how an unarisen fetter can arise, how an arisen fetter can be removed, and how a future arising of the removed fetter can be prevented. In this way, in regard to Dhammas, he abides contemplating Dhammas internally, externally, internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising, of passing away, of both arising and passing away in Dhammas. Mindfulness that there are Dhammas, quote-unquote, is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how, in regard to Dhammas, he abides contemplating Dhammas in terms of the six internal and external sense spheres. Then the awakening factors. Again, monks, in regards to Dhammas, he abides contemplating Dhammas in terms of the seven awakening factors. And how does he, in regard to, to Dhammas, abide contemplating Dhammas in terms of the seven awakening factors? 
Here, if the mindfulness awakening factor is present in him, he knows. There is the mindfulness awakening factor in me. If the mindfulness awakening factor is not present in him, he knows there is no mindfulness awakening factor in me. He knows how the unarisen mindfulness awakening factor can arise and how the arisen mindfulness awakening factor can be perfected by development. If the investigation of Dhamma's awakening factor is present in him, he knows there is the investigation of Dhamma's awakening factor in me. If the investigation of Dhamma's awakening factor is not present in him, he knows there is no investigation of Dhamma's awakening factor in me. He knows how the unarisen investigation of Dhamma's awakening factor can arise and how the arisen investigation of Dhamma's awakening factor can be perfected by development. If the energy awakening factor is present in him, he knows there is the energy awakening factor in me. If the energy awakening factor is not present in him, he knows there is no energy awakening factor in me. He knows how the unarisen energy awakening factor can arise and how the arisen energy awakening factor can be perfected by development. If the joy awakening factor is present in him, he knows there is the joy awakening factor in me. If the joy awakening factor is not present in him, he knows there is no joy awakening factor in me. He knows how the unarisen joy awakening factor can arise and how the arisen joy awakening factor can be perfected by development. If the tranquility awakening factor is present in him, he knows there is the tranquility awakening factor in me. If the tranquility awakening factor is not present in him, he knows there is no tranquility awakening factor in me. He knows how the unarisen tranquility awakening factor can arise and how the arisen tranquility awakening factor can be perfected by development. If the concentration awakening factor is present in him, he knows there is the concentration awakening factor in me. If the concentration awakening factor is not present in him, he knows there is no concentration awakening factor in me. He knows how the unarisen concentration awakening factor can arise and how the arisen concentration awakening factor can be perfected by development. If the equanimity awakening factor is present in him, he knows there is the equanimity awakening factor in me. If the equanimity awakening factor is not present in him, he knows there is no equanimity awakening factor in me. He knows how the unarisen equanimity awakening factor can arise and how the arisen equanimity awakening factor can be perfected by development. In this way, in regard to Dhammas, he abides contemplating Dhammas internally, externally, internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising, of passing away, of both arising and passing away in Dhammas. Mindfulness that there are Dhammas is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how, in regard to Dhammas, he abides contemplating Dhammas in terms of the seven awakening factors. And lastly, the, the Noble Truths. Again, monks, in regards to Dhammas, he abides contemplating Dhammas in terms of the Four Noble Truths. And how does he, in regard to Dhammas, abide contemplating Dhammas in terms of the Four Noble Truths? Here he knows, as it really is, this is Dukkha. He knows, as it really is, this is the arising of Dukkha. He knows, as it really is, this is the cessation of Dukkha. He knows, as it really is, this is the way leading to the cessation of Dukkha. In this way, in regard to Dhammas, he abides contemplating Dhammas internally, externally, internally and externally. He abides contemplating the nature of arising, of passing away, of both arising and passing away in Dhammas. Mindfulness that there are Dhammas is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. 
That is how, in regard to Dhammas, he abides contemplating Dhammas in terms of the Four Noble Truths. So, the prediction. Monks, if anyone should develop these four Satipatthanas in such a way for seven years, one of two fruits can be expected for him, either final knowledge here and now, or if there is a trace of clinging left, non-returning. Let alone seven years, six years, five years, four years, three years, two years, one year, seven months, six months, five months, four months, three months, two months, one month, half a month. If anyone should develop these four Satipatthanas in such a way for seven days, one of two fruits could be expected for him, either final knowledge here and now, or if there is a trace of clinging left, non-returning. So it was reference, with reference to this that it was said, Monks, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha and discontent, for acquiring the true method, for the realization of Nibbāna, namely the four Satipatthanas. That is what the Blessed One said. The monks were satisfied and delighted in the Blessed One's words. So that was quite a Dhamma talk. <laughs> um, just a, a few preliminary comments. Um, it's interesting that uh, in this, he, uh, in this, the fourth section of it, the f- uh, he, he uses the word Dhammas. Uh, sometimes it's translated as mind objects or, f- or mental phenomena, but uh, Venerable Analio keeps to the word Dhammas, and uh, I'll say a, a couple of words on that shortly. And also that he doesn't uh, translate the word Satipatthana, but just uses the word Satipatthana in Pali. Uh, again, I think quite consciously, because there's, there's a variety of different translations, and people um, say, this is the re- it really is the <laughs> foundation of mindfulness, that's what they are. They No, no, it's a frame of reference, that's what it really means. So he just leaves it in the Pali, I think, quite uh, deliberately, so that that range of meanings and the different... Uh, uh, say, uh, nuances, the different aspects of it can be something that we develop as we, we use the term. Um, the, the, f- uh, the fourth section, Dhammas, um, it's, uh, there's a, a, um, a variety of opinions about uh, whether that's sort of uh, what is meant or, or how the, the Dhammas, which usually are, uh, are translated as mental objects, how that really differs from the third one, which is um, translated as mind, Chitanupasana. And so there's a lot of debate, and he goes into that, I think, if I remember correctly, later on in his own commentary, what's the difference between Chitanupasana, the contemplation of mind, and the contemplation of Dhammas. So, um, when you, you look at this in relationship to the Anapanasati Sutta, the discourse on mindfulness of breathing, that's also based around the same four uh, uh, satipatthanas, that uh, it looks at mindfulness of breathing in terms of the body, in terms of feeling, in terms of uh, uh, mind states. But then the, the, the fourth section, it, when it talks in the Anapanasati Sutta, talking about the mindfulness of breathing, it's very clear that the, the, the Dhamma aspect of, of that contemplation is very much sort of Dhamma with a big D. It's in a, in a sense uh, uh, seeing things in terms of Dhamma and particularly in terms of the the quality of arising and ceasing. So uh, I, I know that's a bit of an opinion on my part, but uh, if you, uh, I do feel it makes much more sense 
to uh, in terms of the Satipatthanas, okay, the, the body, feelings, pleasant feeling, painful feeling, neutral feeling, mind states, uh, angry mind, mind free of anger, concentrated mind, mind uh, unconcentrated, um, and so that you're you're looking at the you know the, the body, you know the material form of the body, then the feelings that arise from the body, and then the mental states that that, uh, that are there in the in the mental world in the sort of non-physical. Um, you know, not the, so the the chitanupasana is the aspects of experience not particularly connected with the body, but then tamanupasana it uh, uh, I feel it's it's most helpfully understood as uh, as meaning seeing things in terms of dhamma and when you look at the the uh, the, the comparable um, section of the Anapanasati Sutta the discourse on mindfulness of breathing it's all to do with watching the the arising and ceasing, the, the coming into being and the, and the dissolving, and looking at the uh, anicchata, the the impermanence, the transiency of, of experience. So, in a sense, it's looking at uh, the whole field of experience um, through the the eye of dhamma. So, seeing things with with wisdom, seeing things with insight, so that it's not just looking at the concentrated mind, but noticing the concentrated mind arises and passes away, or the or the distracted mind, the distracted mind arises and passes away. So um, that's there to a certain degree in um, in the, the contemplation as it's dis- described. Um, uh, in the, in the, the refrain it says, um, uh, internally and externally contemplating the nature of arising and passing away, both arising and passing away in regard to the mind, um, for example, but that's uh, to me. It seems to be more emphasised, or that's the particular task that's involved with the fourth <laughs> Satipatthana is looking at um, the the uh, the the very nature of experience itself, and that uh, all experiences are in a state of, of transiency, of change, and um, then that the uh, that quality of, of dhamma you can see is not just a as a sort of mental phenomena. But it's also seeing it with with wisdom, seeing it with the the eye of, of uh, dhamma, seeing things with with insight in particular. So that's just one uh, particular take on it. Another thing that's uh, interesting in regard to this this sutta, this um, the uh, as it, it's the framework for it. The Buddha was in this a town of the Kurus called Kamasa Dhamma. Uh, I haven't been to that that village myself, but I'm I'm told that. Uh, in that uh, uh, this village in northern India, where the Satipatthana Sutta was given, there's a large rock upon which the Buddha was supposed to have sat when he gave the Sutta. So it's still called the Satipatthana Rock, and uh, the, and also even though it's a Hindu village, that they're not, there's not a Buddhist community there. That they uh, part of the the regular pujas of the village is the recitation of Satipatthana Sutta. That they they sort of keep the um, the, the the teachings going even though they might not particularly um, be uh, be a Buddhist faith that the the the, um, the the tradition and the importance of this particular teaching in that place has carried on for two and a half thousand years so so I have been reliably told the um, the whole of this sutta then this is uh, it's also worth saying that this is regarded as being like the the key Meditation Sutta of the Pali Canon, so that uh, over over the the years, this is uh, um, uh, so regarded as containing the 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 very essence 
of meditation teachings and is as, as almost universally regarded as the essential meditation teaching in the Pali Canon. So it really does uh, say warrant uh, a close attention and, un- and an understanding and, and exploring of it. The um, the book by um, Venerable Nyanaponika Tara, The Heart of Buddhist Meditation, is based around this. There's a book by Soma Tara called The Only Way to Deliverance, which is also based around this, this sutta. Uh, there's numerous other commentaries, but I, I do feel that this book by Venerable Analio gives the, the most comprehensive and, and unbiased review and interpretation of, of, of terms. Um, and uh, as Bhikkhu Bodhi uh, puts it, it's both got a, a, you know, an eye on the scholarship and, a, and an eye on the, the practice of meditation, and also particularly drawing on the, um, the way that it is taught and used by various different meditation teachers is a, is a sort of a, a unique element of, uh, of, uh, that he includes in, of, uh, as part of the interpretations that he has. So I'll, I'll leave my um, comments there for the moment, but uh, if there's any particular questions that people have, there's a, obviously the terminology is a bit mysterious, and I know English is not the first language of even half the people here. <laughs> so uh, even if English is your first language, um, uh, there might be a few terms in there or a few phrases that seem a bit mysterious or, or hard to follow. But um, So these will pick up as we go along uh, and uh, look at each individual passage. But I wanted to just read the whole sutta uh, as a single body so that we get a feeling of, of what we're talking about and also that the... Um, the, the range of uh, that uh, of, of um, experience that it covers. Maybe the, the the last of the comments I'd like to make is you'll notice in the refrain that um, there's this this passage where he says just the the um, uh, the see mindfulness that there are dhammas or mindfulness that there is mind is established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness and he abides independent not clinging to anything in the world so in that little passage just that there is a feeling there is here is the body here is a feeling oh this is a mind state that's what this is just uh just enough to to maintain a continuous mindfulness uh, to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. So even though there's a lot of words and a lot of detail and a lot of, uh, of um, uh, say, different terminology in this sutta, it, uh, in, in its essence, it's very simple. That what it's pointing to over and over again is just just the mindfulness that knows. Here's a feeling. This is a this is the body. Oh, oh this is a mood. That's what this is. Oh, this is changing. That's what the, that's what's happening here. That's the, the establishment of the satipatthana, and that the <coughs> that is not something to to sort of gloss over. The, um, but rather to to in a sense be encouraged by just the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. Just oh, here's a feeling. Here's a thought. Here's a mood. <coughs> this is a this is a pattern of experience changing. That's all. That's what's happening. That's what's the present experience, and and then that leading on to, and thus he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That the the counterpart of that, when there is, oh, this is just a feeling. 
Oh, this is just the body. This is uh, this is a, a mind state. This is a mood. Aha! Then that leads to that quality of independence and not and non-clinging. That oh, that's what this is. There's <coughs> whether it's wanted or unwanted is beside the point. Whether it's uh, coming, it's internal or external is beside the point. That quality of independence, your happiness, your freedom does not depend on whether <coughs> you like it or you dislike it. Whether it's wanted or unwanted, whether it's internal or external, it's just this. And so that encourage that that bare knowledge and uh, an awareness encourages that quality of independence and, and non clinging. So, if there are any uh, comments or questions or things for yes, Ajahn, could you maybe just expound a little bit? Like, if you change the word mindful or feeling mindful, and you would say aware of that, what would be the difference? Like, he's not using; he's saying. It depends a little bit on how you use the words. I mean, it's um, <clears throat> the the mindfulness in itself is uh, sati is quite a mechanical term. It's just like putting the attention onto a particular experience and object. So, Ajahn Chah would say, sati on its own is just like a hand. Yeah, that it's like the, the the thing that takes hold of the microphone, takes hold of the book. Um, awareness. Is more that uh, the 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 result of having established mindfulness. Then there's a, like a, a a full knowing. So the easiest way of understanding it is um, you've got like a three-stage process, if you like. So sati, sati sambhajanya, and sati panya. So sati on its own is is a mechanistic function. It doesn't have any particular wisdom or or morality or sensitivity. It's just Bringing the attention to a particular feeling or experience, so sati on its own is is is, is non-moral. It's amoral. It's it's not to do to do with wisdom. It's a it's a mechanical function almost. So that's why Lumpur Samedu would say, you know, a cat hunting a mouse has to be mindful. You know, a squirrel jumping through the branches is being mindful. Uh, it doesn't have a lot of wisdom, and the cat is not having compassionate feelings for the mouse. <laughs> but it's being it's 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 mindful of the movement and noise. So sati on its own is a, is a mechanistic function. Then uh, sati sampajanya. Sampajanya means uh, full awareness or, or a, a comprehensive awareness or clear comprehension. So uh, Lumpur Chao would say, like, if sati on its own is like the hand, then sampajanya is like the arm that connects the hand to the body. It's what moves the hand to the particular place. So. Uh, Sati Sampajanya is not just being mindful of an object, but also of the time, the place, the situation. So that's where the, the if you like, the moral element comes in, that you are considering the feelings of the mouse. You are considering, okay, it's now te, uh, gone, te, uh, gone ten to seven already. Um, there's only another five minutes, uh, seven minutes before we should be winding up. So there's a... a uh, a consideration of uh, the the environment, the the context for an experience. So that's sati sampajanya. Uh, so you can say that's an informed mindfulness. So there's a wis- there is a, d- a degree of a wisdom and a, and a sensitivity. There's a, an element of 
uh, of uh, say inclusivity and uh, as a respect for the effects of our actions and our attitudes on on others and the, the world around us uh, and and our and future outcomes for ourselves then uh, satipanya uh, mindfulness and wisdom is what you could say is sort of mindful uh, what you maybe you would call awareness is that recognition that well this moment is uh, woven out of seeing hearing smelling tasting touching thinking remembering is woven out of, uh, of our um, our language our intelligence our capacity to to feel and to know and that this moment is a mental event we can say we're in the sala but also to Satipanya tells us the sala is happening in your mind if I close my eyes the sala disappears I open my eyes you know color and form come back again this is a mental event what we experience is not the world what we experience is our mind's representation of the world that's why you know you're from Czech Republic so your first language is not English so as your, your English is very good but you're still there's a still uh, a difference between the uh, uh, the conditioning of uh, of, uh, uh, of thinking or, or having learned Czech as your first language rather than English so the world the world is put together moment by moment and uh, so awareness of you know, what we you can call vidya like, like a uh, awakened awareness is an appreciation of the 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 fabricated dependent nature of all experience and the 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 contingent and relative nature of all experience uh, so that you can have mindfulness and uh, and you can have sati sampajanya but still have a sense of you know there's a me here and a world out there and i am relating sensitively to the world if there's this this is the way i use the words i mean different people use the words in different ways but if you use awareness or full awareness or awakened awareness that I'm using that as a as a translation for vijja or or panya or lakutra panya. So there's that uh, <coughs> recognition that I is a convenient fiction. Me talking to you is a is a relative truth. It, there's nothing absolute there. Uh, so when there's a full when there's a full awareness, um, then there's a, a a knowing that that's in a sense the 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 way it's held the way that each experience is understood you're not thinking anicca dukkanata anicca dukkanata anicca dukkanata you know <laughs> but that uh, that is the framework for understanding that's the, the way in which the uh, you know moment by moment the experience is is formed so that um in a, the the result of practicing mindfulness i would say is is a, is a full awareness but you know the different people use different words in different ways so it's you really have to read the book or, or look at how the words being used because sometimes they 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 they're using them the opposite way around yeah. i don't know what's behind the, yeah what's behind the words of and they can be exchanged on it seems to me like what you're talking about awareness and then how this sutta is characterized like if you do this Seven years, seven days, seven days. But at the same time, it's about mindfulness, and it's not much about what is self, what is not self, and all, all these things. So I'm wondering, 
would you say if someone doesn't know anything else and he practices that, that from just this bare uh, mindfulness he'll get this, you know, oh, it's not me, you know, this kind of a deeper knowledge of which is, I think, very important, what is and what is not self, just from this. Well, that, that declaration of the Buddha is fairly emphatic. If it was Buddha yeah. who really said it, if it's not the scholars who combine it after. Maybe maybe so, but it's a it's it's a fairly unique statement um, that uh, the the Buddha makes as like a, an emphatic declaration. So that's you know uh, uh, the as I said the, the very languaging the forming of the suttas is in a stylized way, but it's also it's generally recognized as that there's a, a the internal consistency within the suttas and the vinaya is is so enormous that it, that they, they even though there's bound to have been a bit of interpolation and tweaking over the centuries that it the 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 kind of inter, the integrity of the of the whole body of teachings is is very very high that it's it's virtually impossible that it couldn't all have come from one person so that particular statement if you if you give it uh, credibility, I think it's it's quite noticeable that uh, the Buddha says, you know, if you really do this just for seven days, this will th- this will uh, crack the nut, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I tend to believe it's difficult on experience because all the teachings, you know, like one day I would read this, the next day it would be a not self, and the third day for on the truth. So there's a lot of different important information coming in, so I cannot know how would it happen if I only use this. But I tend to believe, yes, if you really would spend all the moment recognizing recognizing everything, that you would even get that separation. Like yeah. If, uh, if uh, that's really applied, because you've got, you've got Anapanasati and the Four Noble Truths, and you know, <laughs> so everything in between. Yeah. But just that, that quality, if there is that genuine um, mindfulness and, and full awareness being established moment by moment uh, through seven days. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, a not, it's not a trivial statement by the Buddha. So, you know, if you, <laughs> if you really apply this, then uh, uh, that, that'll be enough to, to do the needful. One monk calculated the number of breaths he had to be mindful of <laughs> for seven days and seven nights. Okay, <laughs> I was very uh, keen to to. Okay, uh, it's only like eighteen thousand four hundred fifty-three breaths. Great. Okay, that that's all. You know, and then of course you get to about breath number one hundred twenty. Ah, damn. <laughs> to go back to one again. Get to breath six. Ah, damn. I lost it again. So after a couple of days of because uh, he went to Ajahn Sumedho thing, it's it's amazing. It's only seven days you can get kind of you can finish the whole path just in a week. And it's, <laughs> okay, let me know how you do. And then you know, a couple of days later, ah, well you know I got to 120. <laughs> there was another question there. Seven days of sort of half baked mindfulness, <laughs> and is it like twenty-four hours 
hours a day without any sleep. You have to find out. I mean, also, <laughs> let me know. The uh, part of it, uh, you'll notice though, part of what you're being mindful of is, is uh, waking and sleeping. So it doesn't necessarily mean, uh, I wouldn't say seven days and seven nights without, without, uh, without sleeping at all, but just while there is, uh, uh, while there is uh, a state of wakefulness, then being, being continuously mindful. You can you can sleep mindfully if you work at it. You can be mindful of uh, you can be aware of sleeping. I wouldn't say that happens all the time, but I have experienced that in the past. That you know you, you know that you're asleep when you're fully awake, but you're asleep. It's an interesting experience. So I haven't experienced it that often, but I have a few times. But speaking of mindfulness, it's now gone past seven o'clock. So let's leave things there for today. By the way, the, um, if you want a simpler version, this is shameless self-promotion. Uh, there is a simplified version in the back of this book, which, oh, good heavens, I wrote it. Um, because uh, I wanted to try and have a, a, as a, so easy and accessible a presentation as possible. So uh, there's both the Satipatthana Sutta and the Anapanasati Sutta. So it's called For the Love of the World. And so it's in the uh, appendix in the back section of that. So both those suttas are there in simplified and hopefully accessible form. So if you if you would like an easier version, uh, sim- more simple version to read, then you can just pick a copy of that off the shelves. Don't feel you have to.